Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Epiphany Brooklyn, what is going on? Are you guys doing well? My name is Stephen Chandler, the senior pastor of Union Church in Maryland, and it is my honor. Like, y'all, I'm bugging out. I'm so honored to be with you actually for this month. We're jumping into week two of a series called Crossing Over, Crossing Over. Hey, go ahead and grab your Bible. Took to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, verse 11. And as you turn there, I just want to take a moment. You know, sometimes, you know, the Bible even said that they got over familiar with Jesus. You can get so close to something that you don't realize how good you have it. And sometimes it takes your brother from another mother all the way down in Maryland and lets you know you are a blessed church. What you have here is not normal. It's not average. The pastors that you have are a gift and really a sign of God's favor on your life. If you remember uh, that, that Joseph was his father's favorite and has received a gift that represented the fact that he was his father's favorite, that coat of many colors. And you got to know, based on the gift that God has given you in your pastors and Pastor Brandon and Ty, you got to know that you are one of God's favorites. His favor rests on this house. So do me a favor. I don't care if you're in your kitchen, your living room, driving your car, wherever you are, put your hands together, jump in that chat, say, man, I'm grateful for the pastors that God has given us at this church. Pastor Brandon, Pastor Ty, I love you. Grateful for you. Joshua 1, 11. Y'all got it? Ready to rumble? Here it goes. It says this. Pass through the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourselves. For within three days, come on, type in this, just say three days, three days, three days, you will cross over this Jordan to go into the possess, to possess the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land. Here's a key phrase which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. If you have like a real Bible, like a paper Bible, just underline that, which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. They also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God has given them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side. Somebody say on this side. On this side of the Jordan towards the sun rise. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful. We're thankful for this opportunity to gather together, God, all over this city, all over this nation, God, all over this world. God, turning our hearts to you. You said wherever two or three are gathered, there you're going to be, and you wouldn't show up unless it was to heal us, to transform us, to take us one step closer to the perfect plan, the destiny that you have for us. God, we pray in this moment that you will speak. God, as you speak, we will obey. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. 
We are in week two of a series called Crossing Over, Crossing Over. And I believe that this is just a prophetic moment for you as a church. You are getting ready to cross over into greater influence, into open doors. You're transitioning into a season where the promises of God are getting ready to come to pass in your life like never before. Hear me. I, I, I know you may not be able to say this, but I can say it because I'm going to after this. Um, the church that you go to matters. It's not, I'll just click online, find anything. No, no, the church that you go to matters. Here's why. Because as the church goes, the trajectory of the church will be the trajectory of your life. That's why it's so important not just to be a viewer, not just to be on the fringe, but the Bible says, are you planted? Are you anchored? Are you tightly knit in relationship, in covenant, in your giving, in your serving? Are you saying this is the place where God has called me to be in Psalm 92, 13? Here's what it says. It says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord. I'm going to get in trouble, but I don't care. It doesn't say those who tune in. It doesn't say those who click on. It says those who are planted. It says those are the people that are going to flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. You're just like, Pastor, I don't even know who you are. You're coming for my neck. Calm down. We're going to be friends in like 15 minutes, but let me come for your neck for a second. God has called you to be planted in the church. He said, if you'll be planted... Your marriage will flourish, your finances will flourish, your faith will flourish, your, your peace will flourish. Hey, make a decision. I'm not just going to be a viewer. I'm not going to be on the fringe, but I'm going to be planted in what God is doing here at Epiphany Church. Amen. In the passage uh, that we just crossed over and that we just read over the last few weeks, God has raised Joshua up as the leader. He's getting ready to take the children of Israel into the promised land, into all that God has for them. And and he said, hey, prepare the people. We're going in. Last time, last week, we talked about how Moses passed away and those people that had a mindset that wasn't connected to the promise. They had to wait for them to pass away. So here's Joshua marching through the camp. He's going through every tribe, and he's saying, hey, pack your stuff up. Get ready. Get prepared. We are getting ready to go into all that God has for us. The only problem is when Joshua got to the tribe of Gad, when he got to the Reubenites, and when he got to the Manasseh, he he, he changed his message just a little bit. He, he, he didn't say, hey, pack up all your stuff. We're getting ready to go into the promise that God has for us. To these three tribes, he says, hey, make sure your wives and your children are tucked into their homes. Make sure that everybody is settled. And then after they're settled, you grab your armor and your sword. Let's go in with our brothers and help them take what belongs to them. Here's why the, tr- the story that Joshua was telling, the, 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 the charge he was telling to those three tribes changed. Because before they had gone into the promise, there were three out of 12 tribes that settled on the other side of the Jordan. 40 years prior, God had sent Moses to Israel. He said, hey, tell the people, I'm taking you to a land that I've promised you, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. It is going to be a land that's above and beyond anything that you can ever ask, think, or imagine. This land was filled with giants, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, we can't overcome giants. No, 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 don't you understand? Giants build giant houses. 
Giants live on giant beds. Giants have cultivated the land. What one person sees as a problem, another person sees as an opportunity. God said, the promise that I'm getting ready to take you into is giant. It's humongous. It's beyond anything that you could ever ask, think, or imagine. Here's the problem. There's three tribes in Israel that they may not have said it with their words, but they said it with their actions. We don't want to wait on the promise. We'll settle on this side. And here they were only a river away from the promise that God had for them. And they decided, I don't want anything more. This is good enough. I have a question for you. Are there areas in your life where you've settled for good instead of the promise that God has for you? Are there areas in your life, maybe in your marriage, where you said, hey, it's not horrible. We're not yelling and screaming at each other. We're not cussing each other out anymore. We, 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 we kind of like each other. This is good enough. Have you settled in your finances? Have you settled in your faith? Are you in a place where you're looking around and you're saying, this isn't all that God promised me, but it's better than I've ever known. This is good enough. One of my uh, favorite books, a, a book called Good to Great. It's a business book. It's not a, a, a church book, but it talks about how there were these companies, companies like Blockbuster, like Circuit City, that in their heyday were some of the greatest companies in our nations, bringing in billions, dominating the market. And if you look for those companies right now, you can't find a circuit city to save your life. I think the last blockbuster that was holding on for dear life just closed like 10 years ago. Like block what? It's about Netflix and all this. And the whole premise of this book is that those companies no longer exist because they got consumed with good and didn't want to take the risk of stepping past good to something that was great. You may not realize this, but good enough could be the worst thing that ever happened to you because we can get in a place where good enough can make us complacent and put us to sleep and remove us from a place where believing for the promises that God has for us. You don't realize this. A church could get to a place where people start to say, this is good enough. We have people... There's people that have gotten saved. There's a place for us to meet. The finances are good. We're growing in our faith. I actually don't want anything more out of church. I just want to keep going each week and being encouraged and all that other good stuff. Hear me, God has never called us as a church to be in a place where we're secure, where we're safe, where it's good enough. He has called us to transform a city, to bring revival to a place that needs the hope of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, your pastor is coming back and he doesn't have a heart for good enough or this is a great opportunity. He has a heart for we want to take all that God has for us. So often we find ourselves in a place where we've settled, where we've said, hey, this is good enough. And here's the thought you're going to find from me. I always ask my Bible question. I'm just like, what is it that would drive a people to be on the edge of the promise that God has for them? And make up in their mind, I don't want anything more from God. I don't want to cross over. This is good enough. Just a couple thoughts. One of the reasons why I think they didn't want to cross over is because they said, I'm tired of looking. I'm tired of looking. They got into a position where they said, we're tired of hearing about God's promises, but not actually seeing those promises. 
You got to understand for 30 plus years, going on 40 years, they were wandering around this wilderness. And here comes Moses with this same old, tired, broke message. Hear me. God's taking us into a promise. And it's a land flowing with milk and honey. I can't wait to get to heaven because I don't know what's so exciting about milk and honey. I've had milk and I've had honey. And they are both pedestrian at best. But for some reason, this was Moses' message. We're going to get milk and honey. And they're just like, yeah, after five years, 10 years, yeah. 15 years, yeah, but after a while, they're just like, man, I don't see it. I don't understand it. I, I, I can't put my hands on it, and I'm just exhausted. The Bible says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So many people, we hear about promises, but we don't actually see them, and we get tired of looking at them. I heard of an interview um, with LeBron James, and he said something that honestly it broke my heart. He said, my wife and I have never seen a healthy marriage anywhere in our lives. We haven't seen it in our parents. We haven't seen it in our circle of influence. We haven't seen, he said, we haven't seen it in our lives. And he said, because we haven't seen it, we're trying to build something that we have no concept that we've never seen before. And as I was listening to him, it, it just struck me. So many of us, we hear about these promises of God. We hear about what God has for us. We've just never seen it. And because we've never seen it, we hear about it. But because we can't see, I'm just tired of looking. Maybe you're in that position in your marriage. You've never seen a couple work together. You, you, you've never seen a couple make decisions together. You've never seen a couple pursue God together. You, you've never seen a couple trust each other with finances. So for you, you're looking around like, hey, we're doing a lot better than, than the average person. Yeah, we have separate accounts. He does him. I do me. We kind of do our own lives and we sleep in the same bed at night. But this is a lot better than anything else that I've seen. And without even realizing it, you're, you're settling for less than God has for you. Maybe you're kind of single and you're just a kind of single. Is there such thing as kind of single? There absolutely is a such thing. Like kind of single. We're complicated. We're talking. I don't know. But maybe you're just in a situation where you've never seen a man of God who doesn't pressure you to surrender your purity. Or you've never seen a woman of God that doesn't pressure you to surrender your purity. And, and, and you just have no concept of it. And because you've never seen it, you're willing to settle for somebody who says that they love God, but their actions don't back it up. Maybe you're in a position financially where you've just never seen someone who, who doesn't live paycheck to paycheck. You can't even comprehend what it's like to have retirement savings that, that you don't even need, that you're living to your children's children. You don't even know what it would be like to not have a mortgage payment or a rent payment or whatever. Maybe so many of us are in a situation that because we've never seen it, we're actually willing to put up, to settle with where we are, even if it's less than God has for us. Here's the thing that strikes me in the passage. Here's what Moses said. He said, you can settle. Here, Joshua, forgive me. Here's what Joshua said. He said, you can settle in the land that Moses gave you. But first, you have to go in and fight for your brethren. Now, throughout the entire Old Testament, it was always the land that the Lord God had given you, the land that the Lord God had given you, the land that the Lord God had given you. And all of a sudden, when Joshua says, hey, you guys can settle, but you can settle in the land that Moses gave you. Watch this. 
It was Moses that gave the tribe of Gab, Reubenites, and Manasseh, gave them permission to settle where they were. Now, you got to understand. I know we've known each other for two weeks. We're best friends already. You got to understand. I'm just a little shady. And I'm just thinking, Moses told these tribes, oh, you can settle. You don't have to go into the promise that God has for you. This is good enough. If this is where you want to stay, you can stay here. And this is just kind of how my mind works. But Moses was never allowed to go into the promise. Because of Moses misrepresenting God and striking that rock instead of speaking to the rock, God said, Moses, you will never be able to go into the promise. So here's just how my mind works. Here is Moses, who was not allowed to go into the promise, telling other people that it was okay for them not to go into the promise. Well, of course, Moses would say it was okay for them not to go in because he was never going to get to go in himself. Hear me. Be careful allowing people that have never experienced the promises of God to approve your life and to tell you you're all right where you are. They're never going to push you to a place that you've never been before. Matter of fact, people who don't walk in the promises of God, they will look down at you and try to make you feel guilty for believing God for anything more than they have experienced. Oh, you should just be content with the money that you have. You you shouldn't be greedy and all that other good stuff. Just stay calm and, and be grateful that he's provided something for you and you're not starving. I'm sorry, but providing something for me and me not starving is not what my word promises me. God said he's gonna give me more than enough so that, not that I can be greedy and keep it to myself, but so that I could be generous on every single occasion. And I'm sorry if you've never had enough to be generous to other people, but just because that's your story doesn't mean I'm going to allow your story to dictate my faith of what God has for me. Maybe you've encountered someone that they've been married for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and it has been a miserable 40 years. And they're telling you, well, listen, at least they stayed and and at least y'all ain't killed each other yet. Or I'm sorry that that's your story. Don't let someone who has not experienced the promises of God inoculate you to the place where you're willing to settle for less than God has for you. Another reason I think that they were willing to settle is because they got tired of fighting. After wandering around in that wilderness for all those years, they get to what God said was their promise. And when they peeked into the promise, they saw giants there. And they say, here's what I find. We, we've made up a whole Bible in our head that's not actually the word of God. And we've made up this theology that anything that God has for me comes with no drama. Anything that God has for me comes with no problems. And then we find one obscure random verse to back it up. And the Lord maketh one rich and he adds no sorrow onto us. Listen, it's talking about building wealth godly way. It's not talking about every single area of your life. There are promises that God has for you and there's giants in those promises. And by the way, God knew the giants were going to be there before he promised it to you, and he still promised it to you, which means he wasn't worried about those giants. But here it is, that tribe of Gad, Reuben, Manasseh, they saw those giants and said, nope, I'm good. I don't need to fight. I don't need the drama. I'm good right here. I find so many people, they find themselves in a position of settling because you're tired of fighting. Maybe you're looking at your career and you said, yes, I I could get that promotion. Yes, I can rise in influence. Yes, I could secure that contract or whatever it may be. But the exhaustion that it would bring, the fight that it would bring, the, the drama that it would bring, it's not worth it. I'm just good where I am. 
Maybe you're like that with your children right now, and they've kind of just worn you out. You're tired of whooping kids. Do they whoop kids in Brooklyn? I don't know. Where, they, where I come from, they whoop kids. But anyway, I'm tired of disciplining my kids, putting them in timeout, or whatever it is that you do. Timeout's not godly, by the way. But anyway, I'm tired of that. <laughs> so I'm just going to leave them be, even though it's not the way that God called me. I'm tired of fighting in my marriage. So I'm just going to settle, and I'm going to leave it. But look what the Bible says. Numbers 32, 16, Joshua going to the tribe. They said, we will build sheepfolds here. Hey, they're trying to convince Moses, hey, can you let us settle here? They said, hey, we're going to build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones. He said, but we will arm ourselves. We, we, but we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place. So watch this. They're trying to convince Moses, hey, will you let us settle for less than God has for us? Can, can we just stay on this side of the land? This is good enough. And here, here's the deal that they came down and said, okay, Moses, here's what we're going to do. We'll, we'll build sheepfolds. We'll build houses. We'll settle on this side of the land. But because our brethren have to fight and it's not fair that they have to fight and we don't, after we've settled our family, We'll put on our armor. We'll put on our souls. We will go into the promise and fight for them and then come back to our family. You got to forgive me. I love God's word. You're trying to tell me. First of all, I don't know who was negotiating the on the behalf of Gad, Reubenite, and Manasseh, but you need to stop negotiating. You're not good at it. The deal they came up with is if you let us settle... We will go into the promise, fight on behalf of our brothers, and then come back to where we were. And here's the thing. Here's the whole message. Here's the thought. Well, the whole reason you didn't want to go into the promised land is because you didn't want to fight those giants. And the deal that you're making is you're going to go in there and fight on behalf of your brother and then come back. You got to fight anyway. So if you're going to fight anyway, why not fight for the promises that God has for you instead of fighting and settling? It's one of the things that so many people as believers don't understand. Hear me, this life that we live, it is going to be filled with spiritual warfare, whether you desire to advance the kingdom of God or not. So many believers are like, I don't understand why the enemy's attacking me. Why I got to deal with all this drama? I've done nothing to the enemy. You don't realize your very existence is an affront to the enemy. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, let us make man in our image, in the image of God. He made male and female. You don't realize this, but you reflect the glory of God everywhere you go. You, you, you may wake up in the morning, look in the mirror, Especially if you're a woman, you look in the mirror and you're just like, oh, my gosh, what is this? Am I? I mean, guys, we don't wake up like that. We wake up in the mirror, hair looking all messed up, boogie in our eye. We're just like, hey, how's it going? But for so many of us, when we look at ourselves, we see our issues. We see our setbacks. We see our deficiencies. When God looks at us, he sees his glory on us. When the enemy looks at us, he sees the image of God. And the enemy's mission is to wipe the image of God from the face of the earth. So whether you realize it or not, you are going to be in a fight, boo-boo. You're going to have to fight to keep the marriage that you have, even if it ain't a great marriage. You're going to have to fight for your kids, even if you don't like your kids. I love my kids. I know, but I'm just saying. 
You're going to have to fight for everything that you have. You're going to have to fight regardless. So if you're going to fight, why not fight for the best that God has for you with the promises that God has made for you? Here's the thing that I've discovered, that when we make in our minds, I don't want to fight, I'm, I'm willing to settle where I am. Because it's difficult for us to wrap our conscience around the fact that we've settled, we begin to what I call, we change the finish line. We try to find a moral victory in, in, in less than what God has for us. Here's what those tribes did. They began to erect an altar on the opposite side of the Jordan. It says this in Joshua 22:25. For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us. Your children of Reuben and children of Gad, you have no part in the Lord. So your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. So here's what happened. When they settled on that side of the Jordan, they built an altar unto God on that side. Not the Ark of the Covenant, not in Jerusalem where God commanded them to worship. But they said, hey, we're going to build something that looks godly on this side. It has the, 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 the image of God. It has a reflection of God. It just doesn't have the approval, the, the presence of God. There's so many of us in our lives that, that we found ourselves in a place where we've settled and we try to make it spiritual. Ah, I'm not going to get invited back, but that's okay. <laughs> to make ourselves feel good instead of accepting the fact that this is not God's best for us. So we're in a horrible relationship and we say dumb stuff like, this is just my cross to bear. Huh? You kidding me? <laughs> God says he desires for you to go from glory to glory to glory to glory. Not that there's not going to be seasons of difficulty and things to work things out, but, but he, Jesus is not hanging on a cross anymore. He's sitting next to the Father, interceding on our behalf. There's not a cross for you to walk around with because Jesus isn't walking around with the cross. Ooh, let's think about that. We'll say things like, you know, God just never meant me to be wealthy. God, if he had meant me to be wealthy, I'd have been wealthy. He just never meant for me. Wait, that's not what the word says. Can we stop? coming up with ideas to make us feel good. And don't hear me, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But let's not settle in a place for less than God has for us and then call it God. I think another reason why the children of Israel just kind of settled on that side is because they got tired of waiting. They got tired of hearing about all these promises. God has this, God has that. But when will it come to pass? As we talked about last week, when you get in a place of waiting and you're just not seeing, you, you get distracted and you start filling that space with other things. And those tribes said, you know what? I know what God's promises are. They sound good. I'm just tired. I don't want to fight anymore. And I don't really have time to wait on God any longer. This is good enough. I want to give you just three quick things. Hopefully you still like me. Hopefully you're like, who's this guy talking about? I'm settling. I'm settling. Calm down. You still love me. But what I want to do is I want to give you just kind of three thoughts of how do I break out of this place of complacency? How do I break out of this place of saying this is good enough and get back into a position of readiness of God? I want all that you have for me. Listen to me, if you're tired of looking, write this down. You need to close your eyes and see. If you're tired of looking and tired of not seeing the promises of God, hey, close your eyes. 
You'll see more with your eyes closed than you could ever see with them open. Here's what Paul prayed over the church. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 8. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. In the Living Bible, it says it this way. I pray that your, the eyes of your heart will be flooded with light so that you can see something of the future he has called you to share. I want you to realize that God has been made rich because we, who are, that you realize to you, that God has been made rich because we who are Christ have been given to him. Y'all, here's my prayer for you. My prayer is that God would open the eyes of your heart again. Now, this passage, if I had time to break it down, I'd be like, Paul, this is like confusing. It says the eyes of your heart, and everybody knows your eyes are not in your heart. Your eyes are in your head. But here's what Paul knew that many of us don't know, that you don't see life through your physical eyes. You don't see life the way that it is. You see life the way that you are. You don't see things through the eyes on your head. You see life through the experiences that you've been through. What Paul was saying is, hey, some of your experiences have stolen the light. It's stolen your hope. And my prayer for you is that the eyes of your heart would be opened again. Hear me. What do I mean by closing our eyes? What I mean by closing our eyes is... I mean, getting away from our problems and getting into the presence of God. You see, it's in God's presence when we begin to see things as he sees them, not the way that we see them. The Bible says that we, our followers of God, have been seated in heavenly places, that he's, he's picked us up out of the problem that we're in, and he's actually seated us in a position where we're looking down at it from where he is. So often we get so locked on what's going on around us, not realizing God never desired for you to be in it. He desired for you to be above it. The church that I pastor in Maryland is called Union Church, and it's amazing what God has done over the last 10 years at our church. Thousands of people have come to know God, are connected in groups, are serving on teams all over the state of Maryland, but, but it, it wasn't always that way. It didn't happen really quickly. It wasn't an overnight success. You know, every time they say there's an overnight success, just know it's an overnight success 10 years in the making. I remember the first years of the church, we had over 300 people on the first day of our church when we launched. And I'm telling you, you could have told me I was Billy Graham. I was ready to go. About 12 weeks after that 300-person launch, we had 70 people in church. Based on my expert leadership, I grew a church from 300 to 70. I was like, oh, dear Lord, by the end of this year, we're going to not be the fastest-growing church. We're going to be the fastest-closing church on the planet. We're not going to have anybody by the time Christmas hits. But throughout the end of the year, from 70, we went to 150. That next year, we went from 150 to 250, and every year, we added a few people. But I'll be honest with you, it was not the exponential growth that I felt like God wanted to do through our church. But even though everything around me didn't point to what he had promised me, I always went back to what he had showed me when I was in his presence. I went back to the revival that he had laid on my heart in those times of worship in my dad's church as a kid when the auditorium was empty on a Friday night and there was nobody there but me and God. 
And it was those things that I had seen in his presence that gave me the perseverance to keep on pushing forward, even though I wasn't necessarily seeing them in the natural. Hear me, if the only thing you think about your marriage is what you see in it physically, you're not going to have the hope that the promise will ever come to pass. But if you can get away in God's presence and begin to say, God, can you show me here what you're getting ready to do out there? God, can you open the eyes of my heart to see what you're up to? You're going to realize that what's around you, it doesn't even scratch the surface of what God is getting ready to do through you. The second thing I would say this is if you're tired of fighting, you need to ask God, oh God, will you strengthen my hands for war? Hear me. We are in a spiritual battle, whether you like it or not. God has called us to fight for everything that we have. Pastor, I don't know. The Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. I don't think you should push Christians to be violent or aggressive. That's not the spirit of God. What voice is that? That's my super spiritual voice. No, but the Bible also says that the kingdom of God has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. If you don't know how to fight for the promise, that God has for you. Hear me, the enemy will punk you and take all that you have. The Bible says in Psalm 1834 that he teaches my hands to make war. Watch this. It says that God will teach you how to fight. Now, why would God teach you how to fight if you didn't need to fight? And it says he teaches you how to make war. It didn't say he teaches you how to defend yourself. It says he teaches you how to go out and pick a fight. It says, so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Hear me. God has to teach us how to fight for what he's called us to take hold of. How to fight for our city. How to fight for our marriage. Fight for our finances. Fight for our kids. How to take ah! I could preach like for four more hours. If only you understood how ignorant the enemy is. That God's promises are yes and amen, the amen spoken by us, but the enemy will actually try to undermine the promise of God in your life unless you hold him accountable. The Bible said that Moses was the most righteous on the earth, but yet when Moses passed away, the enemy came and tried to take his body. It's not until an angel showed up and said, no, he belongs to God and put the enemy in his place. All the promises of God are yes, but we have to check the enemy through our amen by taking hold of that promise that God has for us. God, I need you to teach us how to fight. One of the greatest weapons that we have in our warfare is prayer. Prayer is when we make a decision that I can't fight this by myself. I need all of heaven to fight on behalf of me. For so many of us, we think prayer is convincing God to be on our side. Hear me. He's already on your side. You're not trying to convince God to be on your behalf when you're praying. You are releasing all the resources of heaven to push back the enemy through your prayer. I remember in about year five of our church, it was a major transition season. We were moving out of the building that we were in in Baltimore. It was not able to hold what God was doing. And we were moving into a new 900-seat auditorium. It was portable at a high school, but it was, I mean, beyond anything that we could ever afford to build ourselves. And it was going to be a great impact for the church. Part of the way that we were able to make the move is the revenue from the sale of our old building was going to be used to outfit all the equipment for where we were going and all that. And it was kind of just a God thing. And we were coming up to the day of closing, the day where we were going to sell our building. We were going to get the check and use that check to buy all the equipment and stuff that we needed to outfit that new location. And I remember 24 hours before that closing, I'm in my office and 
our uh, CFO at the time, he, he walks in our office, and, and you always tell when people got bad news because they kind of stick their head like, Pastor, yeah, you, you got a minute? Even if I didn't, you're already here. What you got? And he goes, um, just call, call from the bank. Um, the deal's off. We're not going to be able to sell the building. Something happened with the buyer's financing. It's just done. It's not going to happen. I remember looking at him. I said, okay, thank you. And he looked at me like he thought I was going to yell. He thought I was going to scream. He was like, I was going to go do this. Call this. I was like, no, thank you. Got it. He looks at me like, you're all right? I'm like, I'm good. And he kind of backs out like he's waiting for me to break down or something like that. As soon as he walked out, I'd been walking with God long enough that I knew what this was. I stood up and I went out to the back parking lot behind our little building. There was like an easy storage right behind us. And y'all, when I tell you, I started to bombard heaven. I mean, I'm praying, I'm screaming. I'm not angry at God because I know it wasn't God. I knew it was the enemy. I'm decreeing and declaring. I'm binding the enemy. I'm screaming in tongues. I'm just like, God, will you push back the hand of the enemy? You promised this to us and it will come to pass. I remember I was out there. I mean, I'm going in and like the UPS truck driver was driving back in the back parking lot to deliver something. He looked at me like I had lost my mind. I was like, get out of here. I don't care right now. I'm doing business with God. And I remember I was out there praying. I don't even know how long it was, maybe 20 minutes. But as I was praying, I just sensed something in my spirit that something had broken. There was just a peace that swept over me. As soon as I experienced that peace, I walked back into my office, sat down, kept on going back to work. Within an hour, a CFO came back in. It's like, you would not believe it. You would not believe it. I said, try me. He said, it was a typographical error. There was some mistake. Everything's back on. Closing's going to happen. There's no issues whatsoever. And I was just like, I know there's not because we are at war and I know how to do battle. If only we would understand, God will teach us how to fight for everything that he's promised us. God, will you strengthen our hands for war. And the last thing is this. I need to set eternity in my heart. If I get tired of waiting, I need to understand that that promise coming to pass is not my ultimate goal. But there's something that will affect eternity that's on the other side of this. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says this, looking unto Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It says, here's how Jesus got through the cross. He didn't look at the cross. He didn't look at the pain. He didn't look at the fight. He looked on the other side of the cross. And he saw me and he saw you. And he saw the fact that as going through the cross, our sin could be erased and we can be adopted into his family. And because he saw the victory on the other side, he said, it's worth going through everything that I'm going through because I can't wait for what's on the other side. I have a question for you. Do you know what's on the other side of your healthy marriage? Hmm? Well, we'll love each other and we won't beat each other's throats and we'll have a peaceful night of sleep. And Yeah, but... Your children are also going to see how Christ loved the church and how the church loves Christ. That the world's actually going to get an image of the love of God here. That people's lives are going to be attracted to the kingdom of God because he wants to, what he wants to do through your marriage, through your business, through your finances, through this ministry. If only we could understand the promises of God are not just about us living a great life. 
But the promises of God are about reflecting to the world the goodness of God and how, why he should be the attention of their life. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. It says, for our light affliction. Hey, whatever you're going through, it ain't a big deal. It's light, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and internal weight of glory. Well, we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For these things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Maybe you're going through something that would make you kind of a conflict with that verse. Hey, cancer is not light, and it's not an easy affliction. Bankruptcy, job loss, sickness, divorce, or whatever you're going through, maybe it doesn't feel light. Here's what Paul's reminding us. Hey, it's only for a season. And compared to the glory that God has on the other side, compared to the amount of family members and friends and co-workers and people in your community that are going to come and find the hope and the freedom that can only be found in Jesus Christ because they see that healing breakthrough in your life. They see that forgiveness breakthrough in that life. They see that peace break Because of what's on the other side of this, when you look back, going through it now, it doesn't look light. It doesn't look momentary. It's the biggest thing that you could ever see. But when you look back on this season, you're going to say, man, that was nothing compared of what God has done as a result of this. I believe God has sent me for someone to say, don't quit, don't give up, don't back down, and don't you dare settle. I know you're tired of looking, you're tired of fighting, you're tired of waiting, but there's a God that will strengthen you in this moment. Whatever you do, don't settle for less than God has for you. Because all his promises are yes, and amen. Hey, can I pray for you? Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful that God, you said that you died, you came so that we can have life and have it to the full. God, I pray for every single person in the sound of my voice, God, that you would give us a holy discontentment for anything that is less than what you've promised us. With your eyes closed and your head bowed, I just have a quick question for you. Have you settled for a relationship with God that's less than he promised you? Maybe you're in a position where you just see God as this far off being that just has this expectation of perfection from you. And you live this life of fear of, does he know me? Does he love me? Does he want me? Does he please with me? Not realizing that he doesn't want religion. He wants a relationship. He wants intimacy. He wants you to know that you're the apple of his eye. That you're the desire of his heart. Maybe you say, Pastor, I can't tell you that I have a relationship with God the way that you're talking about, but, but I want that. Whether you're not a Christian, whether you have fallen away from God, you just say, I just want a deeper relationship with God. Wherever you find yourself, can you pray this prayer with me? I find that one invitation to God into our lives will can revolutionize our relationship with him. Say this, say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me and for wanting me in your family. Thank you for dying on the cross so that all my sin, all my mistakes can be erased. Today, I open my heart. I ask that you would come in. I surrender all to you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. 
and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, let's worship God together.